I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for a brand new episode of Ladies Night. I'm very excited to welcome Leslie Bibb to the show, who is here in support of God's Favorite Idiot brand new Netflix series. But you have a whole bunch of titles that I'm very excited about right now. I love you're you're lucky that you have a lot of titles that I like to talk about because otherwise this would be a full conversation about trick or treat and nothing else. So the first thing we do on ladies night is we play dicey questions with the dice tower behind me. I've got eight random questions for you here. I roll the die three times and whatever I roll for you, that's where we start. All right. Here we go. First one up. All right. We're starting with a number five. Number five is my favorite of the bunch. It's a good sign. Okay. Number five is high-low. Can you share with us one audition high and one audition low and what you learned from that low? Um, I don't know about an audition low, but I think this is actually, can I, can I sort of, it has to do with a job. I booked a job from a great audition. Like I went in and was like the underdog and got the part and literally like that night they were like you've got to fly to Chicago and I was like I don't know it was like one of my first jobs and I was like I'm so excited I'm gonna have money in the it's just like so exciting I literally go home uh pack my suitcase and get on a plane and fly to Chicago because I'm gonna be on some shoot show that shoots in Chicago and it was um, Kyle Ch- Kyle Chandler had a show like new early edition or something, and somewhere in mid flight, you know, it was like there were no cell phones or whatever. Mid flight, Les Moonves was like, "Nah, I don't know who that kid is. I'm gonna cast. I think they cast Christy Swanson. I know who she is." And so. I landed thinking I had a job and I think I had a beeper and I got a, like all these beeps and I went to a payphone in Chicago O'Hare airport, called my manager and he's like, kid, you're, you don't have the job. Les Moonves changed his mind. He didn't, he doesn't think you're famous enough or whatever. And he was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, get me out of here. And I was like, I don't even want to stay at the hotel. So they were like, my mom had sent me flowers to the hotel. My man, like, it was like a, it was like a big, like first job or something. And so I just got my suitcases, went back to the counter, caught a flight, like an evening flight back to LA. And, um, we were mid flight and suddenly the, the, the um, the pilot came over the the airwaves and he goes, uh, "We have to make an emergency landing. One of our flight attendants is not feeling well, so we do an emergency landing in Las Vegas." Meanwhile, the flight attendant had been doing like like I don't know whatever the fad diet was at the time, where she wasn't eating something or she was just drinking like I don't know like she was just doing like maple syrup and whatever. So she was like breathing through like like 
She wasn't eat. She like walked off waving to everybody. I was like, you were fine. You could have made it. It was, it's 40 minutes more. So we land in Vegas. We all have to get our luggage. We have to go wait in a line. They put us at some shitty hotel. I remember walking in and I was just sitting in like, on this toilet and I looked over and there was a mirror right along like the side of my thigh. And I just saw like cellulite on my thigh. I was like, I hate myself. And then I went out and I looked behind the bed and it was like this fake, like New York, uh, um, Las Vegas, like cardboard skyline. Like I was like probably needed to take like a pregnancy test after I walked out of this, like this, this hotel, like motel room. It was so gross. And then I slept maybe, I don't know, two or three hours and got on a flight and came back home. And it was like in 24 hours was like this big high and this big low. And I think like um, maybe a month later, the showrunner, who was a really lovely, decent person, I don't remember his name. And I think they had really wanted me to for the job. He, they called me and they said, would you come to an episode? And I was like, fuck that show <laughs> at first. And then I thought, no, there's something I, you know, like, and I went and did an episode and I didn't have any scenes with the girl who was playing my part. She like, whatever. I just had all my scenes were with Kyle Chandler and they were lovely and he was lovely. And then, I don't know, there was something in about checking your ego, which actually I should need to remind myself of now about something else. But like, it just was like a great reminder that, you know, sometimes you think you know what the path is. So it wasn't, it was kind of like a great audition that turned into a great, it was like, it was like the most exciting 24 hours and then the, such a bummer 24 hours. And then I went back and I did it and, and I did the job. And I think later that same showrunner, I think I might've done another, he might've, I might've done another job for him somewhere down the line. And I know that Kyle Chandler and I ended up doing a pilot together and, um, he taught me how to do QuickBooks, which was, I'm forever grateful for because I don't trust business managers. <laughs> So I do my own QuickBooks. I have a great accountant, but I do all my own QuickBooks. And Kyle Chandler's like, you can figure this out, Bib. Here, I'm going to show you how to do it. And he showed me how to do QuickBooks. It was really funny. But yeah, I guess that, you know, that's a pretty good story. QuickBooks is a good uh, skill to have. It is a good story because I feel like if you're not able to, you know, like rally, check yourself and then jump into an opportunity that kind of came from all of that, you know, not feeling so great for 24 hours, then probably long term in this industry, you would have had things that like knocked you down too far. Yeah, I, I think this business is really shitty. It's really hard, you know? you have to have very thick skin. And I remember when I was studying acting in New York, I studied with this woman, Maggie Flanagan, and she's an incredible teacher, like just incredible. She's like, has this truth laser. She is, she's just, she's an incredible teacher. She's so smart. The way she looks at things, she's, she's brilliant. And she's tough. She's really tough. I mean, like I would leave class and I'd be in tears and be like, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing? And I remember one time I was talking to her and I was like, I was like, a, I was like, I'm, I just, I don't know why I can't get it. And she, I was like, maybe I'm just a terrible actress or something. She was like, no, no, no. I'm listen. She's like, I think you're talented and I think you're going to go far in this business, but I think this business isn't very kind. So if you can withstand me, you can withstand some, and it's kind of true. I mean, I've been in an audition where the director never took off his sunglasses. And it was like a callback. It was like a second callback. And, and I was, it was a, I had a good, I was a good audition. And he just, I just knew the minute I walked in, I was like, he doesn't want me. Like, I just knew that minute. As soon as I walked in, I was like, he wants a different piece of furniture. He wants like, he, he, you know, I'm an armoire and he, he's looking for like an L-shaped sofa. You know what I mean? And it's like, so 
he, I just remember doing that audition and, and going for it, but he never took off his sunglasses. And it was such a, you know, but having to still be like, well, this is my time. So I'm still going to stand behind the work I've put into this. But, and I always think like in those moments, like, thank you, Maggie Flanagan, because you could walk out and feel really like take it personally and feel like, Oh, he didn't like me or I'm bad. And I was like, Oh no, that's, that's his, his stuff. Cause I came correct. I came with ideas. I, you know, he just, you know, I think people just, they know, like, I think, you know, sometimes you can win them over and then sometimes, you know, they're, they're like, Anyway, can you go? You know what I mean? Which is hard when you're like bearing your soul. I have no patience for disrespect like that, but I do know that sometimes you're in shitty situations in this business and you just got to put yourself in your craft first and that's really all you can do. It's all you can do. And, and also I think to walk away and not take it personally, which is really hard. And some days I take it personally and some days I don't. Some days, you know, I can look back on it and be like, oh, that was about them. It wasn't about me, but it's hard, you know, but I mean, that's life. I feel like that's like a constant life lesson, right? To not take stuff personally. It's so true. A lesson that I got to relearn pretty much every <laughs> single day out here. Every single day. Nonstop. Yeah. Nonstop. Like, yeah. I mean, trust me, like today feels like a good day. Like yesterday, probably I wasn't able to like I was not good at not taking shit personally. You know what I mean? I get it. I get it. All right. Let's give you another roll in the tower here. All right. We got a three this time around. This one's a weird one. So this one we call autofill. So I'll plug someone's name into the, into Google and see what it autofills. And for you, the one thing that kept coming up was does Leslie Bibb have a twin? People think you look like everyone. You know what? I get that. Like, people go, I feel like I know you. And I'm like, I also have a face that looks like, like today some guy goes, can I have your photo? And I was like, do you, have a, do you think I'm Maggie Grace? Like, I just was like, people, like, I was like, it's okay. Like, I don't even take it, per that I don't take personally. I'm like, he's like, no, you're Leslie. Like, I felt like such a dummy when I said it. But like, yeah, I feel like I, I could look like your cousin or I look like, you know, some else. The, the autofills, it was that one. Then it was, um, are you related to, I think it was like Jennifer Gardner, Jessica Lange, uh, I wish I was uh, Kevin, Kevin James Gardner. was on the list. I wish I was related to Jennifer Gardner. I wish I was related to Jessica Lange. I'm looking at a poster. My whole life I've been told I look like Jessica Lange, like my whole life. And um, I have a poster up on my wall um, that, shall I show it to you? Sure, and yeah. It's my birthday. And it's a, can you see it? Yes, I can. And it's from Francis and he got um, Jessica to sign it for me for my birthday and got um, Sam Shepard to sign it and Jeffrey DeMond to sign it. Yeah. So it was a birthday present for me. That is one of the nicest birthday presents ever. It's a really, it's a really nice birthday present. I love that. All right. You got one more roll on the tower here. We are wrapping up the game with a number eight. Eight is a fun one. This one's game show. If you could compete on the game show of your choice, what show would you pick and could you actually win it? So many, so many, there's so many. Okay, so I have this weird obsession with Family Feud. I don't know why, but that I need partners for. Um, what game show? I, I, I don't mean to brag or boast, but I think I'm very good at games and I feel like I could be on any game show, like maybe as long as it's not Jeopardy, um, um, because I'm very competitive. But uh, yes, I would just say, yes, I could win. Uh, I feel like, what's, remember the one that they had, like when we were kids, like um, with the dime, like the $25,000 pyramid? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, $25,000 pyramid. I feel like I would, I, I, I don't want to win anything. I want to win other people money. Like that's exciting for me. You could do that. You should go on. You should go on Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, and they always play for a charity. Um, I have done it. Remember, Jane Lynch had a TV show. Like she did oh, a yes. thing, 
And I went on it. I think I forget that it's actually being like televised for like for people to see because I don't realize how competitive I am. But I was very good. Our team won. And then the girl picked me to do like the final thing. And I won like $10,000 for a charity. Yeah. That's yeah. huge. Yeah. I was very excited. I, I was, I, I love winning money for people. It's like so exciting to me. I don't want it, but I want to win it for somebody. I don't blame you one bit. I, I love games. I don't need to win any of the money. I just want to play the game. That's it. Really? I like when somebody, I like, I like winning it for some, I don't know. Like that to me is so exciting. I get that. I respect that quite a bit. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the meat of it. So every single ladies night interview starts off with this question. Do you remember the, the movie, the performance or personal experience you had that first made you say to yourself, I have to be an actor and nothing else. I don't, I don't know if there, if there was a thing that happened that said, I wanted to be an actor because it sort of just sort of unfolded. But I think there are two people that when I look back at my childhood, because I grew up in a small town and, and like being an actor wasn't something like you do because it doesn't seem real. It's like nobody was an actor. Like you, you are a lawyer or a doctor or something like that. And so I remember seeing Carol Burnett and Tracy Ullman and sorry, my dog. Gus. Oh, this is a very pet friendly show. This is his window. He likes to get in the window and like Gussie. And he usually comes here and stares out the window and watches people go by. So he I is have- more than welcome to join for this interview. Gus, come here, 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 come here, look, here, come on, pause up, come on, pause up, pause up, come on. Oh my God. So I think on, and he wants my socks. I took off my socks. He's <laughs> now he's happy. He's like, bye. I got your socks. <laughs> my dog. Um, I think something in watching Carol, the Carol Burnett show, which I actually didn't realize wasn't in real time, I didn't realize I was watching like some rerun from like the sixties. I thought it was like happening in real time and whatever, you know, where I was in like in my little country town um, and watching Tracy Allman. I just remember something about those two women and it, it, it was deep for me. And I, I don't think my young brain knew what I was absorbing but there was something about it that I was intoxicated with. I couldn't get enough of watching either one of them when they were. So I, I think that's probably, I think on a very deep level, something that molded me. And that the fact that I have now sort of working, do a lot of comedies and stuff, I think when I, when I think about it, it those two women, I think as a child were deeply impactful on me in a way I didn't even know. So that's where it starts. But do you remember a specific project or experience on set when, you know, you could just feel something click where all of a sudden acting became a creative itch that you knew you were good at, but also you knew you had to keep scratching? Well, that would just have been class. I think the first time when I started studying acting, like one of a scene that I must have gotten. I think probably our first year, at the end of your first year of school, they give you you start to really start to scene start to do scene study. And and Maggie gave me this very obscure play that's like hard to find. It's like a palm tree in a rose garden. It's like some weird title. And 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 I couldn't get it. I couldn't, I wasn't catching I wasn't catching it. My scene partner and I weren't catching it. And it was the last day of class of the last day of our first year. And something happened. And I, I don't know what happened, but the scene ended and I didn't know where I, where I was. I was like on, on the ground 
in like a heap of tears. My scene partner was like seething, like something just happened to both of us. The scene, like I understood what it meant to be in a scene with somebody, to listen and respond, to know where I, you know, to have a point of view. But I remember feeling like I didn't know where the last five minutes had gone of what whatever we were doing. I just sort of, the words were coming out of my mouth. I was having this connected reaction to the words and to the circumstance. And I remember going home from class and thinking, that's the only way I have to work. Like that's, that's how it has to be every time. And I think the itch of it was just the, this, the level that I have to do work at. And sometimes I, sometimes I do it good. I do a good job. And then sometimes I suck. I'm sure there's stuff that I'm like, eh, miss that. I miss that. But I think there is, um, I personally have, um, I, I set a pretty high, bar for myself as far as like trying to, you know, as far as homework goes and coming prepared and trying to strive for something. Like I, I'm not the girl who's going to show up and be like, you know, my script doesn't have any writing on it or there's no homework or there's, you know, there's, it's just not in my makeup. So I think that probably was that moment where I thought, well, there's nothing else I'm going to do. Like, it was like a drug. It was like, so like, and I was like, how do I do that every time? So I guess, I guess that would be really the moment. So it wasn't even like, I mean, I was in school, but that would be the moment. Oh, I get it. I could feel it as you were describing it. All right. Let's get into some titles here. I know this is a small feature film credit, but it is your first one, Private Parts. I also listen to Howard Stern interviews nonstop, so I was definitely going to bring this one up. Your your first experience on a film set can, you know, make a pretty big impression and set certain expectations that you go out into the industry and book more of them. So even though it was just that one scene, like especially with, with a scene like that, what kind of expectations does that particular set set for you going forward? Here's what's funny. I think I auditioned, that movie was like, I was still in acting school. Uh, I I think I auditioned for like that movie, like for ten other parts. Like I just kept going in and going because it was such a big. You know, it's it was a big movie. It had so much happening. Um, I we shot on a Saturday which was weird. I was like, you shoot on a Saturday. Like, you know, that felt weird. Uh, I think we were at silver cup studios. I remember like, I felt like, um, Howard, cause he was like doing the show and doing this. He had an apartment almost at like, he, he could like sleep there or live there because he was like, just like working. He was very serious. I remember, I remember being very nervous about, um, meeting him. I just remember being scared he was going to ask me something that my, like, I don't know, however 19-year-old brain would be nervous about or I didn't know. And he was so generous and so kind. And Robin was so lovely. And um, my mom really loved Howard Stern. And she thought it was such a cool job. And Betty Thomas was directing. And I think I sent her flowers. Like I was such a nerd. I was like, I'm going to send Betty Thomas flowers. Uh, I remember at lunch they had lobster and they had really like, they really had a nice lunch for like their cast and crew. That was the first thing where I was like, Oh yeah, nobody, nobody treats you like that's not common. Like the way, like they were very lovely to their crew. Um, And that's not always, you know, a, there's sometimes not the budget, but sometimes you just don't have producers who give a shit about making sure they're crew. But that really stuck in me. Like whenever I produce, like I've been on sets where I've gotten to produce a movie, I'm always like, we're feeding. Like, I, like it's an important thing. I just remember that really stuck with me of how much it, the crew really loved it. It was like a the simplest way to just make sure you're saying to them like, thank you. and 
and we couldn't do this without you in a, in a weird way. I don't know. I just, I, I just remember being so scared and like, don't fuck up your lines. Don't forget them. And, um, that woman swallowed that sword over and over and over or did that, not a sword, well, whatever it was. <laughs> and, or that I always say it's like sword swallowing, swallowed that kielbasa sausage over and over. And I remember, I think I walked up to her at like at some point and I was like, do you need water or something? And I was like, are you okay? And she was like, yeah, my throat's just a little sore. She's like, I've got to fly out for a bachelor party this afternoon or something. Like, it was just like, it was so like, she was like, it's a J-O-B, but it was just like, I was like, cause you know, on a set, you do it over and over and over from every different angle. And I'm sure she was like, you know, she's sort of like, it's one and done, I'm sure for her, you know? And like, that was just crazy. Yeah. It was just, it was just, I remember it was a big movie feeling like it was a, a, a big movie. Yeah. But the lunch really stuck out to me. How nice it was. Fancy. It was fancy. Lobster. It was lobster at lunch. I love hearing about casting crews where every single person is treated with the utmost respect and gets what they deserve for their hard work. And that's what that lobster says to me. So I now now I love private parts even more. Yeah, and it was just like I just feel like I and I really think that really came from Howard. Like I think Howard it seemed like I don't know, he, he just really struck me as like and he was very serious about the work, which I thought was really cool because, you know, I, I never, like, I don't think I, they, they, I think that script was really like under lock and key. So like, I didn't read the whole script. I would just get audition for this part, audition for this part, you know, that going through. And so I remember feeling like not being like, oh, well, he's not an actor. He's like, a, you know, he's this, you know radio host, disc jockey guy, whatever. And, and getting there and really seeing how serious he was. I'm thinking that was really cool too, how it mattered to him. Yeah. You still get that feeling in his work today. And it's why I have been a longtime listener, a listener my entire life. Yeah. (laughs) I like him. Maybe I shouldn't have been at a certain age, but I was. Yeah. No, but I think he's cool. I think, and that movie is really good and wildly interesting. Yeah. It is. It still holds up to this day. It's yeah. something else. And that Mary McCormick, who played his wife, was so great. She's such a wonderful mm-hmm. actress. All right. Let's jump ahead to let's jump ahead to popular. With that one, I'm I'm curious about what it was like after that show wrapped up its run, because you're still semi-new to the industry. It was hugely popular when it started out. And yeah. you know, everyone's often told you want to use momentum like that to serve you well moving forward. So what were some of your priorities for yourself after that show wrapped up? And what were the tactics you used to get the projects you wanted moving forward? I well. That show, it's so funny. You know, you, you do those shows and I think you never, you always take it for granted. I don't know how to tell a young actor when they're doing that show. Cause you just think like the world's going to be your oyster and like everything's going to unfold for you. And then it doesn't sometimes, you know, like you can be on that show and it's like, and I think I remember feeling it was, you know, it, we shot like 22 or 24 episodes and it was like, it was exhausting and, and long. And I for sure didn't, I'm sure I took it for granted, you know, what it was. It's all, it feels like a blur, almost popular. It feels like all of it and not even really understanding the sort of like even the social um, like ripple it was making, you know, you think you're doing a show and still to this day, I will have people come up to me on the street or on Instagram and be like, that show, you did this, that show did this. I mean, it was, so like that is really cool. And I'm, and I'm still Carly Pope who played my sister on the show. Um, she's still one of my best friends and literally was, in my 
one of these windows um, like a month ago, you know, spending, she came down and spent a few days um, with me and Sam and she's, I love her. Like for me, like to have that relationship still is really so grateful for because we sort of came up together in this business. It feels like, like she was 18 and I think I was 24 and you know, you're no, nobody, there's no guidebook for like, you're going to do something and then overnight everything's going to change. And I can't imagine for young, for young kids doing shows now because there wasn't Instagram and, and all of that. Like you just had like magazine shoots. Like now there's all of this other stuff that I, I, I mean, if I found it overwhelming, then I can't imagine how it must feel now to young people starting out like your, your first job. Um, I don't know. It was a great, it, it really taught me like what your mark is and how to make a choice. And, and like, I think it was like, it felt like great grad school and we were doing something that was really um, meaningful to people watching. Um, I don't know. It was, I'm really grateful for the experience. I, I think afterwards you were like, oh, it's all just going to happen like that. And then I think like after, after the show went down, so like we wrapped the show right before, like I was, I remember like we finished the show. It didn't, we were, they were like, we're not, it's not getting picked up. And I had a movie I was going to go do in New York City, which I was so excited. And then September 11th happened. And the world sort of shut down for like, like the movie I was going to do in New York didn't happen. And like the world just sort of halted. And I don't know if, like, I just sort of felt my energetic, just felt like I stalled a little bit. Um but, you know, you just keep chugging along and then, you know, you just go back and you think things are just going to come right back in. And then you're like, oh, no, now you got to go in and audition. Now you got to just like you might have gotten like when you're on the show, you maybe skip like two steps and you come in and meet the director. Now you've got to maybe go back down and still meet the casting director now. Do you know what I mean? So you still have the same grind. You just like where you're entering your freeway ramp is a little different. You know, you might, you're no longer in the HOV lane, you know, you're like stuck in traffic, you know, trying to frogger your way up to 405. It's a very appropriate visual to describe that process. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's, you just go back to the ground. I mean, that's what I still feel like. I'm always like still hustling for a job and it's like what you're always that's what acting is, you know? I feel like the word hustle has a negative connotation, but when you say hustle like that, I feel like there's no other way to look at it if you care a lot about your craft and the work you're putting out there. Yeah, I'm not saying like, I mean, hustle just means like, do the work, do like, I mean, I just, I, I had time off and there was not, not really exciting auditions coming in and I was like, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna sit on my ass and instead, my best friend, who's also an actress, she was like, Maggie Flanagan School's having a Shakespeare uh, intensive. And so she was like, let's do it. And so we went and did a Shakespeare intensive. I've never taken a Shakespeare intensive. I was scared to death. I was like, let's do it. I got a great teacher. I worked on Hamlet. She did Iago. And we would walk out of class. We were so excited. <laughs> it was, and you know, and then I think like just being in class and remembering that and then sort of like it's like you know I think you're being an actor you have to remember that you're like a you're like a Porsche you got to make sure you're oiling you're giving it oil it's not just like washing the outside we don't need to like get facials and color our hair and sort of like go to the gym you got to make sure your engine's running and that it's got oil and it's got gas and you've got to check the brakes and you've got to you got to do all of that stuff to make sure the transmission is still running primo. And when you forget to do that, you know, your car's going to, it's not going to work. 
So I think that's the importance of like going back to class or doing a scene study class or, you know, it's very humbling because it's terrifying, you know? I mean, we were in a class with some kids who were fresh out of like NYU and some were working actors and some were not, you know, some were like, I'm going to do an, I'm going to do my master's and I'm going to do this. You know, it was just like all these different levels. And it was really um, interesting to watch everybody. And what was really cool was to watch people have breakthroughs and get it, you know? And like, I just think it's an important thing. Like, that's what I call like hustling. You've got to just always, it's a grind, you know? You don't want to put yourself on tape for something, but you got to do it. Fully understand that. Yeah. Let's jump to the MCU because I'm kind of curious what it's like being a part of that franchise because I've I've gotten so many stories about other guests' experience, but yours is very unique because you were there from day one. So did you have any inkling whatsoever what that was going to turn into and what have the conversations been like since? Because that is a character that feels like she has a place in that film franchise even though we've only seen her in two films. Yeah, and like the second one, barely. Um, I, first part, no. I, I was doing I was doing this movie called Midnight Meat Train with Bradley Cooper, and I was doing a pilot with, I think it was Freddie Prince Jr. And then my agent, or my manager sent me this audition, and he said, um, there's a saying, it's a Marvel movie. And I was like, Marvel? What's Marvel? And uh, they said, go in. And, and I had worked like all night. Like it, I was really tired. And I was like, I can't do this audition. And he, it's like he knew. I remember he was like, Leslie, put on a skirt and go in. Just do it. I don't care if you're not off book. And I was like, I'm not going to be, I'm going to be terrible. And he's like, just do it. So I went and, and I, I think I, I don't know was was Favreau in the room he might have been in the room I don't know I just remember I auditioned and did it walked out got it had to go read the script in somebody's like trailer on the set I remember I was like sneaking notes writing stuff because I was like I, I'm never gonna see the script again I'm like I need to have an idea of like what the heck is happening um I never signed an NDA, but like about reading a script before, like never. I was like, that's weird. Um, I was very excited to work with Robert. Um, and Gwyneth did something to her knee and like she had to have a knee surgery. So my part sort of shifted and got, a, I think got a little, I mean, I was always going to be at the end, but like, I, they sort of jockeyed something like it just sort of jockeyed in a different way. I think some of my stuff, because I think when it had like something with her knee happen. Um, and so like, maybe I got like an extra day of scenes or something. Um, and, but I had no idea. And they were, I just remember John Favreau was so nice. Peter Billingsley was so nice. Robert was so wonderful. Um, he was so wonderful and God, he was just so great to me. And, um, I remember they also had a really nice, they had really nice craft service and really nice lunches there too. I really like love food on set. Um, and I remember John saying, I was waiting around a long time. Something wasn't going right. And I was like, eh, they were like, I'm like, Peter's like, do you want to go like get a massage? Like they offered something like, do you want to go get a massage or something? And I was like, they were, I was like, no, I have hair and makeup on. No, I'm fine. I can wait. I can like read a book. I can wait. It's fine. A nice trailer or something. And, um, but I was on set watching what they were shooting. And I remember Favreau goes, I feel like I'm shooting the most expensive independent film on earth. <laughs> like it still felt like the budget wasn't big enough or whatever. Uh, I don't know. I did it. And I, I, I had no idea. I just remember being very excited. I was always such a fan of Robert Downey Jr. And Gwyneth was really nice to me when I got to do my scene with her. She was so wonderful. And, and everyone was so cool. And Sam Jackson was so cool. And then the movie came out 
and it was, I don't think anybody knew what happened. I do remember I went to a, when I got the job, I went to a comic book store and I'm not a comic book person. And I walked in and I was like, Hey, I'm looking for some Iron Man comics. And they were all like these comic book kids, like, or not people, not even because some of them are not kids, they're grown men um, and women um, were in there. And like every, there was like something happening. I was like, what? And uh, they're like, uh, Captain America died or something happened like in the, in, in the comic book world or something. And I was like, it was just amazing. I was like, didn't really you know it's not a real person that died but it was like whatever in the comic book that had happened and, and I don't think I understood the obsession with comic books I didn't it didn't it hadn't occurred to me it, it, it didn't it, it did not it was not in my realm of thinking um and then the movie came out and it was huge and like sort of changed everything um I, I, I don't really feel like a part of like the Marvel world because like, I feel like, I know it's like some people are like, like, do you know what I mean? But just because like, I think there's so many superheroes. So I think there are people who are like, you're the person who got him to say he was Iron Man. Um, but you know, it's not like you're, you know, Black Widow or you're, wearing a cape or like those are so like I I'm so grateful to be in that world I love it when they asked me to come do the what ifs and I loved going back and like when they did like a thing we're like we're gonna do I just think it's so crazy how big that world is and how they're constantly those guys and girls and women who are all at you know in that at that studio how they're so smart at like branding all of it and and, 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 and creating content that is so digestible for so many fans, how rabid the fan, that's always fascinating to me, how rabid the fans are for that, for that content. I, I'm just, I, I think it's so interesting. And then, you know, I am with, from then, like now I'm with my partner and he's such a, like, a, he loves, I mean, he loves comic books. Like, yeah, and, I, and so it's interesting. I think I have more of an appreciation about comic books because, you know, he shows them to me. And I, I really love these comic books called Heavy Metal. They're kind of, they're pretty like R-rated. But yeah, I remember seeing like that Heavy Metal and I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, but I didn't, I didn't just, it wasn't like, it, it wasn't in my world. But I, I'm, I think it's cool. I did this show uh, for Netflix called Jupiter's Legacy and I got to wear a superhero costume and fly and do all of that stuff and it was really fun but oddly enough God's favorite idiot I looked at Melissa and I said Melissa I did a superhero show like I wore the muscle suit with the cape and the thing and everything I have flown more on this show where we have ten dollars to get me to fly because they, they, you know, they that show was like slotted as like sort of like an office comedy. I did more stunts. I learned more fight sequences. I learned how to, I did my own flip backwards with the sword. I mean, we had such an incredible stunt team in Australia. But I said to her, I'm flying more than when I actually was a superhero. It's just, it was, it's so strange to me that I, I did way more stunt stuff on God. <laughs> Lot's favorite idiot. Like I literally came out of quarantine for being in quarantine for two weeks. I took a flight from Sydney to Queenstown, drove down to Byron Bay, and went straight to um, to the the production office. And our stuntman put me in a harness, and he's like, "Okay, I just want to make sure I can." And I was like thirty feet in the air, and he was like, "I was like, he's like, you you feel okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm actually." I like, I, I said, I did a show where I had to fly a lot. I'm, I love flying. It's really fun. Like I'm the person who like, when we have to fly, they're like, do you want to come down? I'm like, no, just leave me up here. Cause there's something <laughs> so beautiful about hovering 30 feet in the air and 
looking out like I don't know I just I love it I love it so oh I get it I get it not the same but like the thrill I get from like bungee jumping and skydiving and have you done those oh yes Yes, I have done those and I would do them again in a heartbeat (laughs) okay so imagine like you know when you bungee jump it's over like that and sort of the same thing with but when you're when you're in the harness and I think probably because I don't have testicles like it doesn't hurt I can't imagine it would be very comfortable for uh, uh, somebody with testicles if that if I if, but when I'm in that harness and it's fitted around my hips it's and if the your stunt um, stunt woman has put it on correctly it usually like like I always want like a woman to put it on me because it's like she understands like our hips and things like that it feels really safe it just feels if I feel held and so when they hoist you up in the air, there is a feeling of weightlessness that I really um, appreciate. And so that's why I'm like, just leave me up here. <laughs> Move the lights. I'm fine. I'm fine. I get it. I get it. So with God's favorite idiot. Yeah. Obviously, you have a whole bunch of super talented people involved, and I imagine that's a big draw to the project. But is there anything in particular when that script came your way that made you say, this is the right thing for me to do right now? Whether it was giving you the opportunity to try something new, you know, do something you were familiar with that you wanted to dig into more, you name it. Uh, Michael McDonald, who was our director and uh, one of the showrunners, um, called me and I had, I had worked with he and Melissa and Ben on the show Nobodies. And he called me on a Saturday night and he and I was like, why are you calling me on a Saturday night? And he said, um, I just want to, the show, cause I knew he was going to Australia and um, it was 2020 and it was a pandemic and, you know, work was very scarce. And I was like, Oh, it's so cool. You get to go to Australia and there's no COVID there. And, um, he said, listen, um, do you, I, would you want to play Satan? And I was like, are, are you, are you punky? Like, is that a, like, of course. And he was like, well, just read the scripts and see if you like it. And I was like, I, I don't really, it's called God's favorite idiot. I feel like Satan's going to be a good part. And it's Melissa and Ben. Like, I think I'm pretty good. <laughs> he was like, just read it. Um, because I, I think it's, I think you'd be great in this part. And I think Melissa and Ben really like you too for it. And I read it and it was like one of those moments where you're like, I felt like I was like on candid camera, like somebody was going to be like, psych. And, um, and I got lucky because I think because it was a pandemic, I think other people that didn't want to travel. So like I did and like, you know, um, I ran, couldn't get, to Australia fast enough to play it. I just, there's something I like playing. Um, I mean, if you're playing a villain and I, I've played a few, I, I think it's fun to find the humanity because I don't think villains think they're villains. <laughs> like, I don't think Satan thinks they're a bad person. Um, you know, Lee Iacocca probably doesn't think he's a sociopath. You know, like, you know, I don't know if like Jeff, you know, like, I don't think like, I think that narcissists don't think they're narcissists. So, you know, psychopaths probably don't think they're psycho. I I don't know. I think there's like, there's a story you tell yourself that is not like, you know, and and it's really hard just to play a villain is boring. And I remember when I read it, I just remember seeing, like just imagining like Tracy Flick from election and, and just thinking like, God, can I make, there's something quirky about her. And there was like a, um, thought she was really lonely and she really needed friends. And like, she was just that person who made the wrong choice at the wrong time. Like, you know, there was like, I think like there was, I just felt like she was like the, the, the sibling that the father didn't love as much as the other sibling, or she was like the adopted child. You know what I mean? There was something about it that I wanted to try to see if, I could make her somehow likable in a, in a way. And, um, I thought she was, I just thought 
it was so fun. I mean, she was so rotten. And she's she's just like, she's like a three-year-old, like a petulant child who just wants her way so desperately. And I think anytime you can get to work with people like Ben and Melissa and, you know, Kevin Dunn, and, and you get to be around people who are so, so, and, and I even got to do a scene with Michael McDonald, who I think is like, he's, he is a, a fucking genius, that man. And just to be in the room with those people and to, to, to watch them work. And when you're around greatness, you rise to that. So it's like, when you're around Robert Downey Jr., you rise, like you're around Will Ferrell, you rise. Like you just like, even if it's not a famous actor, if they're a good actor, you rise. I remember Maggie Flanagan. I, I went one time I was in New York and I called her and I was like, can I come just watch like a, your second year class do scene work, you know, um, just audit just, and she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was just watching scene work and so interesting to do again. And you feel, you understand what everybody's going through. And, and, you know, it's just interesting if you started working, you just look at it differently. But at the end of class, she sort of turned to everybody and was sort of going over stuff. And she said this thing. She said, don't be friends with bad actors. They're like the plague. And I laughed so hard and I went into her office and, you know, now I'm older and I'm now friendly with her. And I said, Maggie, you're such a savage. You are so savage. And she said, it's true. And I said, it is true. It's totally true. But you never said that to me when I was like in class, but it's such a savage thing to say, but it's so true. It's like, and it's the thing when you're around, you know, you just rise. Like, you know, it's, there's that Marianne Williamson quote that I think like is um, was Nelson Mandela did it in his speech like you dimming your light, you know doesn't make the you know don't dim it, you know being small God didn't make you to be small you know burn bright shine bright like you know rise up so it, it is I think there was no way I wasn't gonna. I didn't care. That thing could have shot on the surface of the sun. And I would have been like, I will be the next in line on the spaceship to go with Melissa. Yes. Take me over there. And it's amazing. I mean, I just remember the first day I worked with Ben and Melissa, my, my hands were shaking. And also it'd been 2020. So I hadn't really flexed that muscle. I, I'd done this little independent, like horror movie, this really talented uh, young director and we like shot it and like, it was like 15 days they shot the movie and it was like talented young actors and it was really cool. And I went in and I did that, but that was sort of like, I felt like level playing field. And it was just like, how do you work in COVID and the fear of that? But like going to Australia and being like, I- I'm in the AP class, like, you know, it-, it was really cool. And just being with, Ben and Melissa, and sh- and they're so wonderful, and they're so collaborative, and they j- they just keep getting you like, oh, what about this idea? What about this? Or you do something, and it, it it strikes in them, and then they just go, and they're like, oh, you could say this, and maybe, do-. and then, so all you have to do is you just have to be, you have to relinquish all control, and stay in yes, and just be like, yeah, 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 and then just be fearless, because she's, she's like a samurai. She is like a, she is like, you pulled in it. Like she's, she's like a, an arrow being, you know, shot from a bow. Like she's, she's incredible to, she's so facile and she's so detail oriented. So even if it's like, not even has to do with her, like something in the scene, like set dressing, she was, but it's all, it was so, I don't know. It was like a master class. It was just a master class to um, be with them and be in Australia and sort of have the respite from the pandemic and uh, shoot in a place that's really beautiful. It's Byron Bay. It's like Shangri-La. 
and I don't know. It was, it was, I feel really lucky. And, and I'm, and I, I, I'm really, I'm really proud of the work I, I did in that. I think it's funny and weird and strange and yeah, I'm, 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 it's not always that I say I'm proud of stuff, but I'm, I'm really, I'm proud of that. I, I like the work that I did on that. You look like you're having so much fun. And it, that, that sense of fun like radiates off the screen and lets the viewer have quite a bit of fun with your interpretation of that yeah. character. Thank you so much. Thanks for saying that. That's that, yeah, it was. I mean, they just let, I got to do, like, they just were so, they were so great. I mean, they wrote, Ben wrote, a great part. And like, I remember reading all eight scripts and thinking, sometimes I would text Ben and I'm like, I'm laughing out loud, just reading the script, reading the stuff that like they're saying at the office, that's coming out of the mat. Like it's, it, it's so, and also realizing like what he's sort of saying, like there's like, feels like a bigger message that's happening in a very subtle way about just being kind to everybody, like sort of something that I feel like we need right now, which is just about kindness and just everyone, just a little less judgment, a little bit more understanding, a little bit, you know, it felt, I thought, I I remember just being like, Ben Falcone's a really smart writer. He's a really, really, really smart writer. And so um, sneaky the way he sort of gave you something that was super meaningful without clunking you over the head with it. The more I get of that in my life right now, the better. Right? Right? Totally. Big time. Yeah. Big time. All right. I'll make my last question for you a selfish one. I feel like you're probably going to know what's coming your way, but trick or treat, literally tell me anything about your experience making that movie. And what was it like from your perspective, having worked on it, watching that movie, have an impossible time, get theatrical distribution, and then go on to still become a horror classic? Um, okay, so I've never seen Trick or Treat. And this is why so I am so, I can't watch scary movies. Ever, ever. I, I, am, I am the biggest, I'm, they're, they're so scary to me. They're so terrifying. So, um, like Jaws is too scary for me. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like I am so, um, somebody sent me a, a picture of my face when with like the, the thing and I, 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 I like, I can't unsee it. Like, I'm like, I can't, it's so scary. Um, Dylan Baker is the best. Like, that's such an interesting bad guy, right? Like, look at that yes. bad guy. That's what I'm saying. Like, so quiet, so quiet. Like, you know, it's not the loud ones you have to be scared of. It's the quiet ones. You know, that's what's interesting. Like the Lex Luthers, the like, you know, the people you least expect, the Kathy Bates in Misery, you know? Um, but I was really happy for Mike who wrote it and directed it. Um, I went up to do that movie and it was supposed to be sort of like, um, come do a cameo, like, uh, um, like Drew Barrymore in Scream. You're going to do like this cameo. I was like, great, I'll come do it. I got there and there was this crazy snowstorm. Like, I think I was supposed to be there like maybe four days or three days. There was, and it's all nights. And there was a crazy snowstorm that came into Vancouver and um, it did something to the water systems. It snowed so heavy, so fast that they couldn't shoot. So they had to do all the exterior shots. So all my stuff was exterior. So all of that stuff. So I think I ended up, I ended up making like, like I, whatever I, I, I was there for, two and a half weeks, three weeks to shoot something that I should have like flown in, worked one and a half days and flown out the next day, like something crazy. I was there such a long time. Uh, the water system shut down, like the Starbucks were closed because they couldn't even use the water. Like the water in the hotel was green. Like you couldn't like, it was like something happened with the snow. Um, Mike, the director 
just because he's so torture. He loved to torture me because he knew I was so scared of scary movies. One time, like, I went to open my door. He called me and he like, did something. I was like, stop it. You're stop scaring me. And he was like, just open your door. I just need to give you something. And then I opened my door and he had like, had like cellophane it or done something. And like, what was looking at me was so scary. And I, and then I was stuck in my room and he was like cackling on the other side. Yeah. He's, he's a nightmare. He also had like had a snake. He'd always be like, come to my house. I was like, no, I'm scared of snakes. I'm not coming to your house. I don't trust you. I saw what you did to my door in the hotel. You're going to put that fucking snake on me. Don't, don't. Um, but everyone was really nice. I remember it got really cold and I was like in that blue tracksuit outside. Um, I think it was the first time I'd ever done like a face cast or whatever and feeling like, Oh, this is very claustrophobic. Um, but yeah, it, it was just like, and we, and because we were on nights, I had sort of had, was in this holding pattern. So I spent three weeks of like staying in at like a night owl. So like I would sleep during the day and be up all night. So it was like so weird. Um, I met one of my best friends who was shooting in the same hotel and I was so starved for somebody. So like I was in the gym and I was like, Hey, didn't you work on crossing Jordan? And he was like, he's like, you were such a nerd. Cause you were like, came in so hot. You were like a crazy person. And, um, we like went to dinner like for, cause he was there doing some like TV show. And so, and like Dave Monahan is still, you know, one of my dearest friends. And so, yeah, there's something like, it was such a weird little quirky movie. I always find like the movies that don't go as planned, like that are hard. Like, like the, the movie just felt like there were like, like it was just always something with that movie. And I always feel like those movies are the ones that like somehow sustain and like last the longest. It's never the movies that are like, oh, it was beautiful and a breeze and everything was perfect. No, it's like Iron Man. Like I'm shooting the most expensive independent film. Like everything was it's like you, there's some sort of blood, sweat, and tears that has to be paid in order for to reap the rewards of it, I think. No, I'd believe that. You can plan and plan and plan and think you have everything you need to make a pitch-perfect movie, but then I feel like that special spark doesn't come until you're challenged and forced to come up with creative solutions on the spot, and that's usually the best material. Yeah, I agree with you. Like It's, it's like, I don't know, I feel like sometimes as much as I want it to be an easier journey... Sometimes, like, it, if it's too easy, it, it's 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 not as sweet somehow. I don't. I mean, I know that sounds like a masochistic way, to, or maybe I just don't appreciate it because of like it's so much hard work, or it was so that when you see it and you're like, oh, we did do a good thing. Oh, it did. Like some. You also don't grow if it doesn't challenge you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 That was. I. You know, it wasn't so challenging for me, but I just remember Mike being like. Remember him feeling like it were a rock being pushed uphill, and he was so clear about his vision and and knew what he wanted for that. So I'm always so happy for him that you know he's such a smart. He was a kid when he did it, but like he's such a smart man. Like he just is, you know. He's 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 brilliant. He's a really brilliant guy. I love that you love that movie. I have a I have a giant poster downstairs from uh, I think it was one of the first um, theatrical screenings they did for it. I think it was at the Egyptian for Beyond Fest, and it's this beautiful orange and black print, and it's like one of the best pieces I have. Oh, I love that you love it. It's so cool. I mean, don't don't. It's I'm such a scaredy cat. I when I was a child, my sister somehow convinced my mom to take us all to see a family movie called Amityville Horror, and. Oh, no. And we went to see it and I was very young and it did like, I like traumatic, traumatic, traumatic. Like I never saw another scary movie after that. It's understandable. That one will do it to you. <laughs> I don't even like windows that look like the top of the, you know, that like arched with like. I grew, I grew up on Long Island. Those windows are everywhere. 
I can't, like I see them and I'm like, get out of here with those windows. Well, just in case you haven't seen them, Trick or Treat, Midnight Meat Train, uh, the Babysitter movies. Yes. Like there's more. They're they're all really good. I love them all. Good. I'm glad. I'm too scared to watch them. Oh, <laughs> uh, you are so generous with your time. I feel like I should let you go, but I will say a big thank you for hanging out with us on Ladies Night. Congratulations on God's Favorite Idiot. And like I could have spent hours and hours and hours talking with you. So for your next release, we got to do another edition of Ladies Night. Thank you so much. And thanks for getting me through uh, the chrome of it all. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.